Exodus chapter 17. Brother Kurt and I have talked about what he was thinking about teaching in Sunday school. But you all know i got short-term memory. And uh, when he said to turn to Exodus, I was about ready to fight. I thought he was going to be preaching something that I was. <clears throat> but uh, Exodus chapter number 17 Y'all pray for Brother David as he tries to find a invitation song. This is one of those that uh, I guess once it's said and done with, it'll be all right. But uh, the introduction will be one of those that y'all probably gonna think I've lost my mind. But um, I've been I've been following this this war with Israel and Hamas. And uh, I'm not a I'm not a news person. I, I I'm going to give you some stuff that that I found, but I don't I'm not following it, you know, letter by letter. But the Lord's really touched my heart. I was telling Brother Brian Howard on Friday um, just some things that the Lord has spoke to me about, and I think it'll help us if we can kind of tie some things that are happening over there with some battles that we will face. And so I covet your prayers today. And um, I want to read uh, verse number 8, Exodus chapter number 7, down through verse number 16. Now, I have preached out of this passage before, and I've, I've preached a message entitled, um, Don't Be Weary, or Let Us Not Be Weary, however, it may, maybe uh, I may have titled it, I really don't remember. And uh, I, I've used this as especially Moses uh, there in verse number 12, his hands were heavy, <clears throat> and Aaron and Hur um, that went up on the mountain with him, they held up his hands until the going down of the sun. And the Bible tells us that when uh, Moses' hands were lifted, that Israel prevailed. And, and so I preached that thought of, let us not be weary. And we tied in Galatians 6, 9, where Paul says, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And so uh, maybe you have some notes scribbled there somewhere along, along the line. I don't even know if I've preached that here or not, but um, uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to go in that direction. Um, I want to preach on this thought if the Lord will help me and give me um, absolute liberty today. Do you want to fight or do you want to finish? Do you want to fight or do you want to finish? Now, <clears throat> Uh, in, in my mind, as I began to think and ponder and pray and study about this, um, when that thought came to my mind, of course the Scripture came to my heart first, and then the, the thought came to my mind, I thought over there about Paul. He says, I fought a good fight, I have finished my course. And, and so, uh, if we think about uh, Paul, he did fight, but he also finished. And so I don't want us to get too involved in what Paul said there, uh, because I'm going to make my point here today. I don't want to contradict what Paul said, but I, I want to make my point. Um, let's, let's read our text, and then let's, let's go on. It says in verse number 8, Exodus chapter 17, <clears throat> Then came Amalek, and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men, and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said unto, or said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book. And rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. 
Let's pray. Father, we ask you now that you would have your will today. We ask you that you hide us behind the cross. God, we pray that your name would be lifted up. We pray that your will would be done. God, we pray that you'd give me liberty today. Give me an unction. Give me an anointing. I pray that you'd help your people, Lord, to see the message, Lord, that is at hand. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let me, uh, let me kind of step aside from the scripture and lay some foundation for, <coughs> for the message this morning. Um, we, we do know that according to scripture here that Israel is made a promise here in verse number, uh, verse number, uh, 14, verse number 15, and verse number 16 that God will utterly put out from remembrance, uh, Amalek from under heaven. It says there in verse number, uh, uh 16 that uh, the Lord, He calls the place Jehovah Nissi, uh, which means Jehovah my banner. In other words, it's a it's a flag that they will then uh, begin to carry with them. And it says it's Jehovah's flag that we're fighting under. And he says uh, that God or Jehovah will make war with Amalek from generation to generation. Uh, but it's this promise that I want to discuss for a little while this morning. And once I get out of the introduction, I promise the message won't take long. Uh, but last week I received an email, matter of fact, two or three emails from a missionary. And, and I can't remember if he's been here before, uh, but a missionary that uh, lives in Israel. Uh, and uh, there were several statements that he made in this email that kind of intrigued me. But one of those statements was, Israel's war with Hamas and the spirit of Amalek. And immediately, Brother Stanley, my mind began to to go to Exodus chapter 17 because this is really the first time that Amalek is mentioned outside of his heritage. This is the first time that he's mentioned as far as doing something. Now, Again, that statement was Israel's war with Hamas and the spirit of Amalek. Now, according to our news reports, we know that uh, on, I believe it was October the 7th, there was an attack made on Israel by Hamas from Gaza. And in the days following, there was about 1,400 Israelis that were killed. One news article, it was from One for Israel, said women were violently yanked about by their hair, tied up and terrified. Little children were shot and abused, and 40 babies were found beheaded. An 85-year-old grandmother was paraded through the streets of Gaza as a trophy unaware of her dire situation because of dementia and a lack of medication. So once Israel went on the defensive, they have been very forceful. I think you can see that in the news, that they've been very forceful in this. And it's caused concern all over the world. After all, I mentioned that there's a death toll of around 1,400 in Israel, but there's a death toll of over 9,000 in Gaza. Now, just in case you're wondering, now this is, I'm not giving you a news report, I'm just giving you some things to be thinking about. The reason that the death toll is so high in Gaza is because the Hamas are cowards and they are not hiding in plain sight, they are hiding under schools and in schools and hospitals and in religious facilities and things of that sort. They're hiding amongst their own people and causing their own people to die and and be killed. And so these numbers on both sides, they include civilian and military. Now, because Israel has went on such an effective and such a massive scale of attack, society on, on all scales have, have been calling for peace and a ceasefire. But my heart today has to go back to something uh, that the Scripture says over and over again. Because of what we find here, you can go back to Genesis uh, maybe 37, I think it is. Uh, it talks about Esau, and it talks about his son, and then his son's son being born, which is Amalek. And we find that Amalek is the son or the grandson of Esau. 
Esau is a type, a picture of the flesh. And Amalek is no different. Matter of fact, the name Amalek means, if I could find it here in my notes somewhere, uh, Amalek means dweller in a valley. And so he dwells in a valley waiting to attack. And we find that in our scripture. Uh, if, if you've read through the book of Exodus, you find that in chapter 14, they come out of Egypt. They come out of Egypt and they begin to walk and they complain and they find miracle after miracle. And they do not face an enemy outside of themselves until you get to chapter number 17. And then while they're in the valley of Rephidim, they find their first outside enemy and it's Amalek. It's this type of flesh, if you will. And in this battle, in this, in this valley of Rephidim, you find this enemy, Amalek, and God makes them a promise once the battle is over, once the fighting is over, He says, you don't worry because I am going to utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Now, over and over in God's Word, this is where my heart is this morning. This is what I told Brother Brian the other day. Is what society doesn't understand understand, what America doesn't, what all of these other nations don't understand. Uh, They're wanting Israel to fight by certain rules of engagement, and what they're wanting them to do is honor different agreements and treaties, uh, but what they don't understand is the Word of God. God quite often said, you utterly destroy the enemy. Sometimes that enemy instigated something. Sometimes they came in and raided. Sometimes they did not do anything. But yet God in His sovereignty knew that they were going to be a wicked generation and attack His people. So right out of the get-go, God said, there's a people, you go in and you destroy them. You don't believe me? Let me give you some, some for instances. You don't have to turn, but write them down. Numbers chapter number 21, Sihon and Og. God says, you go in and utterly destroy them. Men, women, children, animals, everything, utterly destroy them. You look at Jericho in Joshua chapter number 6. God said that that place is cursed. Don't take anything except for the gold, the silver, and those are, are consecrated to God. But we find there, we preached on this this week, we find there that a sinful man named Achan took of those things and kept them in his tent. And God not only uh, took of the curse from Jericho, but he cursed Achan and his family. And as such, he cursed Israel because of his sin. And so, uh, but they did, they were faithful in destroying everything except for those few things in Jericho. We find as a result of that sin there, uh, that uh, you call it AI or I, uh, you find that I was should have been easily destroyed, but they were attacked. And 30, I believe it's 32 or 36 men of Israel died. But once they got everything right, they went into I and they utterly destroyed them in Joshua chapter number 8. Y'all following with me? You're tracking with me. Now listen, we find in Joshua chapter number 10 uh, that once Israel... Uh, began to make acquaintances there in in the area and they made leagues with others that other kings uh, thought that they were going to be too big and they would not be able to stand against them. So five kings joined together in Joshua chapter number 10 and came against Israel and God said to Joshua, I will fight for you. You go and you fight all five kings and you utterly destroy them. And so you read Joshua chapter number 10, it'll bless your socks off uh, because the Bible says that God destroyed more people than Joshua and his men did because God rained down stones from heaven to kill those men. In that battle, Joshua prayed and said, God, let the sun and the moon stand still, and they did. And so they were utterly destroyed there in Joshua chapter number 10. At the end of Joshua chapter number 10, you find Makeda. And Makeda was utterly destroyed. God, time after time, this is just in a matter of a few chapters, God, time after time, told them to destroy the enemy. 
And so we understand, and I'll mention this again, we understand this is the very first time that Amalek has been, uh, is seen, and this is the first uh, instance that they have any type of interaction But we find over and over through Scripture, whether by name Amalek or by the name of the uh, 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 Amalekites or the Amalekites, however you want to say it, uh, you find that Amalek and his people are constantly at battle with Israel. Remember the headline that was shared. Israel's war with Hamas and the spirit of Amalek. It makes me wonder if the reason being that Israel is fighting the spirit of Amalek, matter of fact, in that article and, and another article made the correlation that many of those people that are living in Gaza and are part of Hamas are descendants of, of that line. I, I don't know. I'm not that smart to be able to trace it all, Brother James. I can't trace it all back that way. I don't know. But I do know this. That you can see some things in this entire thing and, and, and you can know that there is a spirit that they are fighting against. These are not just men. These are wicked men. It reminds me of, of Adolf Hitler. There's a wickedness about it. For them to behead 40 babies. Matter of fact, one of the elderly women that was killed, she was shot in the head. They took her phone, took a picture of it, and posted it on her social media account. And that's how her family found out that she was dead. That's how wicked these people are. But now, now, we I told you that Amalek was the grandson of Saul. Amalek means a dweller in a valley. He was the first enemy that the people of Israel had faced. But God's promise here, even today, has still not failed. But man's promise to God has. Here's why I say that. Because this is Exodus chapter number 17. In 1 Samuel Samuel chapter 15, God told King Saul... To kill Agag and all of the people and all of the beasts. And what happened? He did not kill Agag. He kicked Agag. He kept the beast. The man of God said, what's this bleeding of sheep that I hear? He found out that Agag was still alive. So the preacher had to go cut his head off. (laughs) I'm going to be nice, but I'm going to say this. There's, there's only been a few times. And y'all know. I, I, listen, I'm just going to be real. Babies don't bother me. Babies do not bother me. But it, it, people have made note of this. They've made note of this. And I have publicly said, your babies screaming don't hardly bother me. But when it does bother me, and I have to stand up, or I have to look, that's when I'm bothered. And I've heard... And I have seen eyes go, so you know when I'm upset, when I'm turning around, or when I'm coming to you, or I'm doing something, it's a big thing. I can imagine if Samuel, being the preacher of Saul, being the prophet of Saul, and he told Saul, you go kill Agag and everybody in the camp. And he came back with the king and some of the sheep. I could imagine the look on Saul's face when the preacher had to stand up and said, what? It wasn't a screaming baby, but it was a crying king. And y'all's babies are being good this morning. And Leah, I'm not talking about you. Every time Leah stands in the back, she says, we weren't bothering you, were you? I said, I didn't even see you. I just happened to look up and see. So we find here in 1 Samuel chapter number 15 that Samuel was told to kill all the people of the Amalekites, which Agag was the king of. If he'd have squashed it right then, Kurt, I wonder if we'd have what's happening over there here in just a few more days 
be a month worth of fighting. Just kind of wonder, kind of wondering, Brother David. Y'all still with me? Can I preach here? And just I need one more minute, and then I'm gonna preach. God's people are still fighting the same people that they've always been fighting. Now we're in Exodus chapter number seventeen. You know that you know that Abraham had to fight. You know that other people had to fight. You know that 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 there were wars, there were little skirmishes here and there. You know that they were in bondage for four hundred years. Okay, so there was battles before, but as as an instituted people of God, here in Exodus chapter number seventeen. God had just delivered them from their biggest enemy, Egypt. Their first one is the one they're still fighting. And it's because man hasn't utterly destroyed them as God commanded. So it makes me wonder, makes me wonder, spiritually speaking, if there's some enemies that we're still fighting because we haven't finished them. It makes me wonder if we just like to fight. Paul said, I fought a good fight. He said, I finished my course. But I guarantee you there's a lot of battles, Brother Kenny, that he'd soon not have had to fight. What is it? First or second Corinthians chapter 12. He said, I sought the Lord thrice about this thorn in the flesh. I don't know exactly what that thorn was, but I'm sure he didn't want to have to fight whatever that was. But it makes me wonder if today we're stuck in this rut of fighting our battles, our enemies, our secret sins, our whatever you want to call it, because we're not ready to finish them. I'll give you this. Hamas, I'm over my minute. Hamas means violence. I can't read Israeli, whatever it's called, Hebrew. I can't read it, but I done put it in the translator, and it means violence. Their very name, and that's what they live by. Their code of conduct is violence. They're going to fight, and Israel's going to... Israel needs to fight until they're utterly destroyed. America needs to stand behind them instead of tucking America's tail between its leg and say, no, y'all need to stop and play nice. But y'all hearing me this morning? That's what needs to happen. Oh, Uncle Joe needs to quit sending money to Ukraine and just, he needs to quit sending money everywhere. Come on right there and just go ahead and say, Israel, y'all fight until you can't fight no more. Utterly destroyed. Now, has God told you to destroy something in your life? Has He? If God's told you to destroy something in your life, I have to ask you just a series of questions. Are you just toying with it? Have you ever seen a little, a little cat or a little, some kind of little, maybe a dog or something, he gets something that he's, he's, he's about half killed and he just sits there and he kind of toys with it, kind of just plays with it. Is that what you're doing? You got that enemy, you got that giant, he's down and he, and all you're doing is just kind of toying with it. I guarantee you, if, if he's not too bad hurt and you let it alone, it's going to come back, it's going to get stronger, it's going to tear your heart up. You might weaken it for a time. Are you overcoming it just for a little while? Are you able to stand up and and beat your chest and say, look what I've done. But as soon as you turn your back, it knocks you in the head. See, that I, I believe that's kind of where we're at today. And we need to either finish or we need to we need to finish. I ain't even going to give you another choice. We just need to finish it. My mind goes to David and First Samuel 17. David had that sling and he had that stone and he threw it and he sunk into Goliath's forehead 
And, and I don't understand this, and I know, Brother David, you've probably taught it, and some of you have studied it, but the Bible uses the same word twice. The Bible says that he fell, Goliath fell down because David slew him. But then he says he went and stood over him and took Goliath's sword, cut off his head, and slew him. To me, that means he was already dead, just to make sure he cut off his head just in case. Now, I don't know if there's any significance there, but I assure you, if there's a snake in my house, if the house is not burning down, I'm going to do everything I can. I ain't going to grab it with a pair of tweezers and take it out the door. I ain't going to grab it all gingerly by the tail. I see some of y'all jack legs grabbing something by its tail. No, sookie, no. That thing gone. I'm going to cut it up. I'm cutting his head off. If somebody tells me that thing can kill still strike with his head cut off, I'm going to call somebody bigger and more manly and more hair on his chest than I do. Because I don't want to have nothing to do with it. And listen, if the giant that I'm facing still act like it's got a pulse and still act like it's twitching and and moving around. I'm going to do everything I can not to just let it lay, but to cut its stinking head off. I don't know if that's what happened with David and Goliath. I don't know if he just gave him a headache, but the Bible does say, Allie, that he slew him with that rock. But then he took his sword and cut his head off. By the end of that thing, Brother David, he was dead. He wasn't just a little dead. He was all the way dead. And that's the way our giants need to be today. All the way dead. But we're too satisfied with just, well, I've got the victory today. I don't want the victory today. I've had, I've had too many, and I don't want you to take what I'm about to say out of context. I've had too many just little, little bitty daily victories over little things in my life that turn out to be big things. I need a sure enough, forevermore, all the way victory over some things in my life. I'm tired of fighting some things that I should be done finished with. I, I'm gonna give, I, I got a lot, I've got a lot of peas in this thing. I, 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 for, for you that like alliteration, I alliterated the whole thing. I did this. At, that's why I was late to church this morning. I put alliteration all over. Number one, we're going to look back in our text, chapter 17, verse number nine. I told you I'm going to preach fast, so you listen. Let's read verse number eight, verse number nine. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out, men. And go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow, I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Number one, if you're going to, listen, if you are going to fight, or excuse me, if you're going to finish rather than fight, then you're going to have to have a position of protection. You're going to have to have a position of protection. Very first thing that Moses did, he said, choose us out, men, go out, fight. With Amalek. You have to have a position of protection. There was a choice. He says, choose out men. There's sometimes in these battles, Brother Kenny, we got to make a choice. There was not only a choice, but there was an action. They could, Kurt, you could choose today to fight and to finish. But if you don't put any action on that thing, that choice is not going to make any difference. He says, choose us out men and go and fight. Go out and fight with Amalek. So he says, go out. There was an action. Then there was a purpose. Go out and fight. And then there was a target with Amalek. Here's another thing that I've figured out in churches today. A lot of times we're fighting the wrong cotton picking thing. And I'm guilty as the next person. I know it, and I ain't even going to admit some of the things that I've been fighting against. But sometimes we're fighting the right side against the left side, or however you want to direct it. We're fighting the front against the back. We're fighting him against her, and her against her. We're fighting the red. Somebody with red hair. We got three red hairs in here this morning. We got enough for the Trinity. Come on. 
Some of y'all didn't even laugh at that. I'm going to pray God save y'all. We Listen. It, it's time for us. It is time for us today to start doing something. You can choose to go out and fight. We're fighting against the wrong thing. He says, don't fight with your brother. Don't fight with the tribe down the road. Fight with Amalek. Abby, your giant may be different than your sister's giant. May be different than your husband's giant. That still sounds weird, your husband. But it's true. It, it, it's true. All of, all of us may be fighting different things. But we need to have a position today of protection. We need to look at our own selves. We need to look daddies and mamas. We need to look at our families. And we need to say, I'm going to have a position of protection. I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to have some action. I'm going to do something about this. And I'm going to fight the right thing. Number two, there was a posture of praise. Now, if we're not careful, we'll miss this. We will slap miss this. We get in a fight and we'll forget about praising God. But Moses said, Joshua, you go out, you choose us out, or you choose us out, men, you go out, you fight with Amalek. He said, but I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. He says, tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill. He said, with the rod of God in my hand. So we need a posture of praise. His standing was not due to pride. Now, it says a hill. He didn't say a mountain. I don't know that. Now, remember, he was in the valley. They were in the valley of Rephidim. So he didn't climb a mountain. He just maybe found a, maybe a, a little high spot. And the reason for this is so the people could see their leader. So they could see that their leader had not fallen But not only that, but it was so that he could honor the Lord. Now, a lot of times when we praise and we, we truly want to worship, we, we, this is, this is good and bad. Sometimes we fall on our face and we worship God. There's nothing wrong with that. But what Moses did is he, he stood erect and he stood with his hands upraised and, and he said, this is going to be my posture of prayer. While you're fighting, I'm going to be praising God. While you're fighting, I'm going to be sitting here in my posture of praise and I'm going to lift my hands to heaven and so everybody can see and so I can honor God. And not only that, but he says, I'm not in a valley. I'm not going to heights, but I am going to have something that those people have seen work time and time again. I'm going to have the rod of God in my hand. Now, we're not going to go pick up a stick, but I promise you today, if you will begin to praise with the Word of God in your hand... Things will start looking up. When you start thinking about Jesus, when He was tempted of the devil for 40 days, what did He do? What was the weapon that He had? He had the Word of God. When He came against the enemy of all enemies, your adversary, the devil, when He came against Him, Hannah, He had the Word of God. And Moses had this rod of God. So there was a there was a posture of praise. If you're going to finish, there has to be a position of protection. There has to be a posture of praise, but then there has to be a performing of purpose. Listen to me in verse number 10. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek, but it's not done. And Moses, Aaron and her went to the top of the hill. So both of them did what they said they were going to do in verse number 9. What we do is we act like committees sometimes. We waste a bunch of time and we talk about what we want to do and what we're going to do, but we never do do it. But they did it in verse number 10. Uh, Joshua went out and fought... Moses went up and praised. I'm, I'm thankful today 
that they did what they set out to do. If you're going to have victory over this giant, over this sin, over this enemy, over whatever that you need to finish in your life, you are going to have to perform your purpose. I could probably say it like this. You've got to have a purpose. There's too many Christians walking through life with no purpose. You think finding the will of God is for the, is for the preacher, for the pastor, for this person or that person. Every child of God needs to be seeking the will of God in their life. And if you're not, you need to start today. We talk about when graduation comes. Kaylee, you and Ashlyn, we talked about it just, just a few months ago when you graduated last year. Rachel, when you graduated, we talked about finding the will of God in your life. When we dedicate children, finding the will of God in your life. For when we, when we do marriage counseling, finding the will, finding the will of God in your life. When we do those things, yes, specifically to those individuals, but church, you need to find the will of God in your life because if you don't, you you are not going to know how to fight, how to praise God, what to perform. You're just willy-nilly through life, haphazardly. But then, in verse number 12, they were partnering to persist. This is where independent Baptists, like us, this is where we fall so, so, so terribly. We think we can do it all on our own. And I don't know where that started, but, but it was kind of handed down. Well, we'll do it ourselves. We're independent. And I'm independent as it goes. I, sometimes I like it. I like it just being us. I like not fellowship with anybody. But then sometimes I don't. Sometimes I wish I had a pastor that was two or three miles away that I could have breakfast with and that I could fellowship with and I could share burdens with and he could share burdens with me. But I'll be honest with you, I don't. I wish I had that. All the ones that I can talk to are hours away, many, many miles away, phone calls or some device away. There's a disconnect But Moses' hands were heavy. Now, I'm going to read verse number 12, and I'm going to give you some stuff that's helped me, but I don't want you to be thinking that this is all about me this morning. I'm talking about you, all right? I'm preaching to you. God's already preached to me, so don't feel sorry for me. This is about you. Listen to this. We're talking about partnering to persist. Verse number 12. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they, who was they? Aaron and Hur, took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on one side, the other on the other side, and his hands were heavy or steady until the going down of the sun. The reason that they had to be steady until the going down of the sun is because of verse number 11. When Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed. When he let down his hands, Amalek prevailed. Let's not forget that. But if we're going to finish this thing, we need to, sometimes we need to have a partner in order to persist. And I, for one, I want to say thank God for the people of God. For the people of God. And now it's, it's very rare. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago because I remember I was standing right here. Have no idea what I said, but I remember standing right here talking about it. But there's very few times that I've talked about anything bad going on at this church. But I can near about tell you on one hand the times that I've talked to my people about things going on at my church, at this church. I don't, I don't want to sound prideful in that. My church. And it's not because I don't trust you. It's it, none of those things. But I don't want to influence you and I don't want you to influence me in any negative way. I, I need to be the shepherd. And I need to be leading you. You don't need to be carrying the weights that I carry. And there's weights that, that I carry, that a pastor carries, that most of you do not understand. And you won't until you are the pastor or you're in his family somewhere. But I will tell you this, I am thankful 
for God's people. You have no idea. You have absolutely no idea what it's like for someone to do just something like, Preacher, I sure am praying for you. They may not even know what what they're saying or why they're saying it, but I don't take that lightly. Because that is out of the usual. And so when someone said, Preacher, I'm praying for you, then I take that to heart. Man, I sure do appreciate that. When someone comes up to me and they give me a hug that don't never hug me, I'm waiting on Brother Jim to hug me. (laughs) Smile, Brother Jim, it'll do you good. But I'm waiting on somebody, just come here and give me a hug. Now, Brother Jim, don't hug me too hard. My back's hurting. I love God's people because they bless. There's been times of going out. I sure didn't need that. I sure do appreciate that. There's been texts come in. I didn't say anything at church, but I sure, I love you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Those are, those are the type of things that though, though I'm not sitting on a rock and your name's not Aaron and your name's not her, you're lifting my hand. But I want you to know, same thing can happen. You can lift one another up. Maybe, maybe it's somebody not here. Maybe it's someone else. It doesn't have to be here. But sometimes in these fights, you need to have a partner in order to persist. Because your hands will get weary. Your hands will get heavy. And you can't praise. You can't fight. I was watching something the other day and these boys were going at it and they were fighting and they had given it all they got and they were just, that brother Kurt, they were literally, they, they weren't even swinging, but they knew they had to keep on because the bell wasn't going to ring and they were just barely moving and finally they both just fell down and, and they were still kind of tapping one another, hoping somebody would call the fight. Sometimes that's the way we are as Christians. We can't fight anymore and we're just doing it. What we need is a partner in order to continue in this thing. My daddy used to watch wrestling all the time and he'd get on his knees in the middle of the floor and he would box and he'd fight. That's where I learned to cuss. <laughs> can't talk about those days too much, Brother David. He'd get on his knees and he'd box and he'd, he'd fight the TV, Parker. And I'd sit on the couch and I'd look at Daddy and I'd look at Mama. I'm like, Mommy, you're crazy. She said, I know, son, but I love him. She's like, it'll be done in a minute. And he'd go outside and he'd come back in and he was all normal again. Sometimes you, you fight. Sometimes we've got to praise. Sometimes you need a partner. Number five, if I'm not mistaken, this is my last point. Don't nobody say amen there. It's not my last point. Y'all can say oh me now. There's a prevailing in the promise. We need a partner to persist, but we can prevail in the promise. Verse 13 and 14, and Joshua discomfited Amalek. Now, don't don't y'all country people say discomforted. That's not what this word says. This word is discomfited. You ain't mad, are you, Allie? Okay. It means to confuse. It means to utterly confuse. So what's happening here is, is Moses on the, on the hilltop and he's raising his hands and Israel is just whooping up on everybody. I mean, his men are just falling everywhere. It says, it says, uh, and Joshua discomfited Amalek and the people with the edge of the sword. So his men are, are laying around everywhere. And Amalek and his people are confused. They don't understand it. He said these people were minding their own business and they were just walking through the valley and we live in the valley and we surprised them. We pounced on them. We overran them. We confused them at the first. They didn't even have an army. They threw one together. How in the world are they overcoming us? Well, 1 Corinthians 1 Verse 27 through 29. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. 
And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Now, to be sure, God did not tell Moses here in our text to utterly destroy Amalek, but God promised that he would do the destroying himself. You see, this confusion came because Joshua and Moses were obedient. Confusion came because the enemy did not understand of the choice that they make and and they did not understand of all of the, the protection and the posturing and the praise that was going on. The enemy had no clue what in the world these three men were doing up on that hilltop and why there was a rod and hands raised up. They had no idea what was going on. And you can mark it down that your enemy is not going to know what world he's in when you begin to praise God. When you begin to fight, when you ain't got no fight left in you. Now, God didn't say, Moses, you destroy Amalek. This was the first time that they were fighting him. But God promised that he, God, would destroy him. He said, I'm going to put him out of remembrance. We too were promised several things concerning the flesh and our enemies. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians six seventeen, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. 1 Thessalonians five twenty two. Abstain from all appearance of evil. So he's saying, I want you to come out from them. But listen to this, Romans 8, 37 through 39. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor, uh, uh, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He tells us here that there's going to be some things come against us, but if we will separate ourselves from the enemy, from the world, then God will make us victorious more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. You got a choice. You can continue to fight the enemy off and on, or you can finish him once and for all. And then last, there's a producing of praise. You see, there was, there was a posture of praise earlier. He said, I'm going to go up on the mountain. I'm going to raise my hands. I'm going to raise this rod. But now there's a producing of praise in verse 15 and 16. Kurt, you, you talked about there was some writing there uh, when you were in chapter 24 today. I love that, by the way. I loved it. Here's some writing here. The Lord Jehovah told Moses, write this for a memorial in a book. I think that this is, the, is, this is where the book started that you read about in chapter 24. I think. You study it out and let me know, okay? Write this because it says a book of remembrance or a book of memorial in chapter 24. Write this for memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out, over, put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi, for he said, Behold, the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. There's a producing of praise. The first thing that Moses built was an altar to God. The first thing he did, Nathan, was build an altar to God. Built an altar so he can praise God. Build an altar so he can worship God. Build an altar so he can recognize God for the victory. I I, I mentioned this before, but he called the name of it Jehovah Nissi, or the Lord is my banner. What do you do at an altar? You pray, you praise, you worship, you seek the Lord. Those are things that you do at an altar. And that's what Moses wanted to do. That's what the people needed to do. 
They needed to pray. They needed to praise God. They needed to worship Him for this victory that they had. They needed to praise God, the Jehovah, my banner. Jehovah is the one that was fighting in their stead, Brother Jody. I ask you today, we can come with a song of invitation. Have you, have you gotten, oh, gotten the victory over your enemy? Maybe that enemy is a sin. Have you gotten victory over that sin? Maybe that enemy is your flesh. You're fighting your flesh over and over every day. And I understand we're gonna, we're gonna have to battle with our flesh. We are human. If you want to, listen, I, this may sound comical and I don't mean it to be, but if you want to stop fighting your flesh, you're gonna have to stop breathing. You're gonna have to drop dead. What I mean by that, Kurt, is we're going to be fighting our flesh until the day that we die. But there's some things in our flesh that we just like to fight. It gives us too much joy. It gives us too much pleasure. And so we just kind of get over it for a while and then we pick that bad habit back up. We pick that thing that pleases our flesh back up and we fight with it again. Or you can get the victory over it and lay it down. If you've gotten the victory, you can praise God today. You can build yourself an altar. But can I assure you today, you, you also can build yourself an altar. If you're still in the midst of your fighting, you can't get the victory. Won't you use this time to pray and ask God to give you that strength? Ask God to give you a partner in this thing so you can use some, so God can use someone else to help you fight. The time of pride is over. These were the last of the last days. I believe it with all my heart. We've already seen a great falling away. We're seeing it every day. People in the church are falling away. Preachers in the church are falling away. Churches are closing their doors. They're falling away. I firmly believe we're in the last of the last days. So we don't need to be prideful about our own personal things. Sometimes the Bible says in James, confess your faults one to another. I don't want you to confess them to me. I don't want you to come to me and say, Preacher, I need you to pray for this. I've got this, 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 and this in my life. I need you to forgive me. That's not the way it works. Those type of things you confess to God, you let God to forgive you. But if you need some help praying through and fighting over some things, then you might need a partner. You might need to get somebody and say, listen, I need you to help me pray about this thing because I cannot get victory over it. You might need somebody to help you on that mountain. Lift your hands up or pick up another sword and help fight. Let's stand. Let's bow our heads and pray before we sing. Our Father, we thank You for today. We thank You, Lord, for the message. And I do pray. I do pray, Lord. I feel like I feel like I'm scattered, Lord, but I feel like I did what I was supposed to do. God, I ask you tonight or today, Lord, that you'd help. Lord, if there's someone, Lord, that's been fighting, but, Lord, they need the victory, God, I pray today that you'd help them finish this thing. Lord, I ask you, Lord, that you'd help that one, Lord, that maybe, Lord, through the course of the service today, maybe they've got some victory. I pray that, Lord, they can come to the altar and they can begin to praise your holy name. God, we pray, that, Lord, that you'd help somebody make a choice, but then, Lord, let them, let them react on that choice. Have your will today, God. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.